Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. Today we look at O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That's our song of Advent today. Pray with me if you would. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this season. We are weary of it in some ways, or worried about it maybe in other ways. But you come through every time. If we focus on you, if we start to think about your birth and what it means and how hungry we are for what it means, Lord, this changes everything. And so would you do that work of changing everything inside of us now through your word? Transform us. Bring glory to yourself through it. In your name we pray. Amen. So why? That's a question you can ask. You can ask it in so many different ways. You can look around your life, look around your world, see so many things that seem frustrating or mysterious or suspicious or backwards or just plain dumb, and you ask why. You know, you look at a typical day's news, and you can, you know, lose your hair scratching your head or grow it back, as the case may be, you know, and you just wonder why. Why are there so many things that don't make any sense at all or just seem to be so hard to understand? And it's not just with negative things. There's all kinds of stuff that we, we like, even. We, we live by and for our phones, or our cars, or our computers, or even our microwaves. Yet most of us don't know why they work the way they work. Most of what we rely on in life, we can't explain. We just don't know. We have no clue. We push a button. And uh, most of us don't care, you know. There's just so many things we don't understand. We don't even bother asking why. Why bother asking why? Just go with it. Just say, it is what it is, and be done with it, right? Well, th- the point is that our, our general ignorance of all things, if we let it get out of hand, can weigh us down. It can diminish our peace of mind because our minds were designed to inquire. We want to know why. God made us this way. We want to know why the world is the way it is. We want to know why our lives have turned out the way they have. We want to know why we do the things we do. We want to know why God does the things He does. So this song, written by a monk or a priest, likely, and and it's been printed, you know, not too many years ago, you know, a couple hundred years ago, but really the, the writing of it, according to Ace Collins, who's the author of Stories Behind the Best Loved Songs of Christmas, he says that this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, was written about 800 A.D. by a monk or priest. It's probably, this is a quote from him, it's probably the oldest Christmas carol still sung today. And it's one of those songs, when you sing it, it kind of makes you feel like a monk a little bit or a nun. You know, and, and it brings you back a dozen centuries to desperate people living in the Dark Ages, you know, living in dark times, and and they're calling out to God based on an answer he gave to a question of why. A question of why asked and answered in the Word. 
So before we go further, let's summarize what we're doing. We're, we're looking at the song. The Bible places the song in the middle of Christian experience. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. The Psalms are in the middle of the Bible. In the middle of the Word is a song. Heaven is a song. There's, there's singing in heaven. And we read that in Revelation. So we know this. We know that Christians sing songs about Advent, during Advent, songs of joy, songs of longing. We notice that there's these Scripture songs that start with, oh, we know what that is. We're singing to something. And so today, we have an O without an H, without a comma. We're singing to, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We're singing right to Jesus Christ because Emmanuel is one of his names. He has many names in Scripture, and we're going to look at where this name comes from. We're going to see it in the text of Matthew, in the account of his birth that we read in Matthew. So when we look at this, we realize that all these things that we read about in the Bible concerning the birth of Jesus Christ, well, we're, we're given description. We looked at that last time. We looked at the what in verses 18 through 21. What happened? The, the things concerning the birth of Jesus Christ happened in this way. But the Bible doesn't stop with what. The Bible always gives us a why, and we get that why today. We get a little bit of that why today, and it's powerful for us. So let me read these verses Verses 22 through 25, we're just picking up where we left off last time. Verses 22 through 25, Matthew chapter 1. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So we're going to look at why verse by verse, and this, this why, the, the why of God turns into a wow in our hearts as we keep thinking about it and looking at it. So here's verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. So there's the answer to why right there because God said so, because he said something specific through a prophet that he chose, that's why it came to be, because God said so. And because God said so can be strong medicine for the soul. It can be a healing salve for a broken heart. And it, if you like coffee, it's like a strong cup of coffee for the weary mind, because God said so. That's big. I know it sounds a little bit like your parent and the reason your parent gave you for doing this or that, because I said so. But it's better than that, because you have to go all the way back to Genesis 1, and Genesis 1 shows us God making everything because He said so. He spoke everything into being, and that's how creation came to be. And that's also how redemption comes to be. He speaks it into being, and he spoke it into being through the minds and the mouths of prophets for centuries. And, and that's powerful here. Matthew is underscoring this because he's writing a gospel to a Jewish readership. And he wants to show them what he believes as a Jew himself, that the validity of the story is based on the fact that it's rooted in God's Word. 
God's words spoken prior by his prophets. And then that's why Matthew quotes from the Old Testament here. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So one of the first things I notice, and maybe you'll notice too, is it's something that scholars seem to miss. It's just the unusual wording there. The virgin shall conceive. That's an odd way to describe a woman getting pregnant. It isolates the woman. There's no other player visible, just the woman. The virgin shall conceive. And of course, we know that the Holy Spirit placed Jesus in the womb of Mary. And so we, we get that picture reinforced by the prophet who spoke it centuries earlier. It's powerful stuff. Where is it from? Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, if you happen to have a Bible open to that, you'll see that this verse seems to apply to a regional geopolitical situation involving the failure of a leader and that failure being addressed by God and corrected by God. And you see that over and over again in the Scriptures. And sometimes people will say, well, that means that this doesn't apply to Jesus. But Matthew says it does. Well, then that must mean, some people say, that this doesn't apply to that local situation. And so you end up with two different translations, not really translations, interpretations of Isaiah 7.14. One is, is called the single fulfillment, which means it's only about Jesus. And the other is the double fulfillment, means, well, it's about Jesus, but it's also about what was going on on the ground at the time. And that one works for me, and there's scholars that, for whom it doesn't work, but it works for me because I see God as a both-and God. I see God working in layers. And so I can easily picture God working in this situation there in Isaiah 7 and, and fixing that situation with the birth of, of the children. These children have names and all of that, and there's a long, complicated thing that I don't want to get into right now, but you know, it's, it's God setting something right, like something was wrong, and he said, I'm going to make it right. And he made it right then, but in making it right, he also created an illustration for how he's going to make everything right through Christ. And that works for me. It might not work for you. Regardless, here's what it says. Here's an e There's a long note from the ESV Study Bible. Here's the end of it. It says, Faithful interpreters can be found on either side of this debate. One should not, therefore, lose sight of those truths on which all agree. The prophet speaks authoritatively for God. Everybody agrees on that. Ahaz, that's the leader in question in the, the local context of Isaiah 7, Ahaz and his house stand under judgment. The prophetic sign directly meets the failures of Ahaz's day. Fulfillment of the prophecy comes about through direct divine in intervention in human history, and the sign finds its final fulfillment in the virgin birth of Jesus the Messiah, who is literally God with us. And so you, a lot of the prophecies about Christ are like this. And you want to know this because some people will use the Isaiah a reference and say, well, that was just about that time. So 
I refute your Christian faith. I refute your, your faith in the birth of Christ. And we say, well, no, it says this in Matthew, and we can clearly see that even if it was about that time, it certainly is about the birth of Jesus Christ. Both end works. It really does. It's often the case in Scripture that you see layers of truth, and they don't contradict. You don't see a contradiction. You see a consistency. God working in a small way, in a small context, and even if he's working with nations, that's small for God. And that small context work of God matches perfectly the larger context work of God. And that's important because you read about these things, you read about the Bible, you think about God, and then you have your life and the mess that that is. You're like, well, how do the two even match? How, do they even, how does one touch the other? God is always doing this, and we see it always in the Bible. There's a local mess. You could call your life that. <laughs> There's a local mess, and God will work the same way that he works with all of creation and with all of redemption in your local mess. Same God. Same God fixing, basically, by the way, the same problem because it's the same kind of people as you and me doing the same kind of things that people like you and me do all the time. And so comes God, always about right and righteous, making things right. Now, the whole time that we're looking at this, this verse and, and, the, and the verses before, you might, you might lose track if you spend time looking at the verses of the fact that we're still in Joseph's dream. Well, the, the next verse shows us that we, we get out of this dream now. When, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So again, we're looking at Joseph, the father. That's a big thing in that culture. The father was responsible for the name of the son. And so, he, he named the son, the name he was given in the dream, his adopted son. He stayed true to character. He obeyed God. Again, let's look at that both and idea that we talked about instead of either or. Sometimes we make the mistake theologically going to one extreme or the other. And it's probably not theolo theology that's the, the, uh, the problem. It's the application of a theology or of a failure to understand theology. So you have people on one side who will say, you better, you've got to do everything you've got to do to get yourself saved and keep yourself saved. You've got to keep your confessions current. You ever hear somebody tell you about that or talk about keeping your confessions current? You better confess every sin you ever committed. You better not go to sleep tonight without having that list, every, every item checked on that list. Now, I don't know about you, but I never, ever could succeed at that. I could, as I re recall my sins and think about, and it would just, and I wouldn't be able to go to sleep, or I'd fall asleep trying to, to make the list. And so I, I, I can't do that, and I can't keep myself. I didn't get myself saved. I can't keep myself saved. 
You know, I, I can't, it says over and over again in Scripture to obey, but I don't have that in me to obey, so I need help. So I don't want to make an error all the way on this side thinking the whole thing depends on me. I also don't want to make an error all the way on the other side thinking, well, you know, God saves me by grace, I can do what I want. And there is a movement that started a couple years ago. I think it faded out. It was called the Hyper Grace Movement where you could do whatever you wanted. And we had a church in the area where they said, go ahead, sleep with whoever you want and have affairs because grace is grace. Go for it. I don't think that church did really well. I think they had some problems from what I, from what I heard, you know? And, of course, that's, that's not like, oh, that's a new thing. That's not a new thing at all. That's as old as the hills, antinomianism, it's called. Uh, that nomos is a word for law, like no law. There is a law. Now, there is a way to live. Over and over again in Scripture, you're given commandments, commandment after commandment after commandment, and your posture is to be one of obedience. And so God does the God work in your life. He saves you. You can't be obedient without God, but also obey God. Don't play around. Don't play games. Don't look for the wiggle room. We're always looking for that, like that little margin of error, right? <laughs> the little breakdown lane on the side of the road that we can go into, and now there's a rumble strip. Let me get back in the lane. You know, you ever test the rumble strip? Maybe. Maybe not on purpose. You're checking your phone, and the rumble strip says, stop looking at your phone, right? Well, don't play games with the rumble strip. Don't, you know, you don't want to be driving along and be on the rumble strip and think, it's fine. I'll just stay here. It kind of feels good going along like that. So, no, you want to get back in the lane. Stay in the lane. Stay with Christ. Obey. Do your utmost for his highest. Never think that the sovereignty of God is an excuse for sin. Never think that grace is an excuse for sin. Because in thinking that, you show that you don't understand any of it and you don't look like you're a recipient of any of it. Because if you're saved, you're glad that you're saved from what you're saved from, and what you're saved from is your sins, so you're not going to sin if you're saved from sin because you can sin because you're saved. Got it? Repeat it back. <laughs> right? And so it's a, it's, a, it's a both and situation. Joseph was called to be the adoptive father of Jesus Christ and the husband of Mary. First the fiancé and then the husband, the betrothed of Mary and then the husband. And he was set up for it in terms of his genetics, his DNA, even though he was the adopted, adoptive father of Jesus Christ because he gave legal cover to Jesus, even as the, the DNA of David also came through Mary. Joseph was an honorable man. Joseph did the right thing. When we read the story of Christmas, we don't negate the choice of Joseph. We see God sovereignly making sure this happened, and, both and, and you see Joseph doing the right thing. And here's the, here's the powerful truth that you can get out of all this. 
Joseph, I, I wrote here, he's a breathtaking exemplar for all of biblical masculine power, especially in terms of his cultural context, holy choice and spiritual strength, one that everyone can enjoy and be inspired by. In one sense, Joseph is the first good man made good by direct contact with and relationship with Jesus Christ. He's a template for transformation, being the real thing and living out a real faith. So he, he was sanctified. He grew in his holiness and obedience to God through his contact with Jesus just as much as we do, as we will, as God wants us to. So here's, here's the thing. Jesus can make you, just like he made you, Joseph and Mary, Jesus can make you the kind of person that does the right thing. Think of that. Jesus can make you the kind of person that does the right thing. Without Jesus, you will want to appear to be the kind of person that does the wrong thing, the right thing. At the same time, covering up the wrong thing, which becomes a double wrong thing. But with the entrance of Jesus, the advent of Jesus, not just in history, because again, it's both then. He enters history and he enters your history, your story. And when he does, he can do the same thing. So the same holiness and strength and character that you see in Joseph or Mary, that's available to you in Christ. And, and you want to you take that in. The, the, the prophets, all of them, Isaiah and all the rest, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all the minor prophets, they're called minor prophets because their books are small, and so 12 of their books fit on one scroll, but their message is anything but minor. So all the prophets, put them all together and look at their overwhelming passion for one thing, and that one thing is the right thing. The wrong thing, wrongness of any kind wrongdoing of any kind offended them, set them on fire in terms of their consciences, gave them fiery words to speak and, and, and to, to point out and to expose the wrong and the wrongdoing. And their passion was to have the wrongdoing cast down that righteousness would be lifted up. Righteousness, purity, holiness, doing the right thing. That was the passion of the prophets because it's the passion of God. And that is available to you in Christ. That's offered to you in Christ. Jesus can make you the kind of person that does the right thing. Take it in. Say yes to it. Say yes to him. That's Advent. That's what the birth of Christ is about. That's why we read these prophets. These prophets were upset because what they saw made them upset. And their hearts were set up by God to be extra upset. They, they, they weren't jaded. They weren't calloused. They didn't say, it is what it is. They said, it is wrong. That's what they said. But God is going to make it right. 
and the ultimate end expression of God making things right. You look at any prophet, any situation, they did their work at different centuries, different times, different contexts, and yet you could take all those prophets, put them all together, and the end expression of God making things right is Christ. Finds its fulfillment in Christ and in the birth of Christ. And, and that perspective is what inhabits the song that we're looking at today, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We're looking at why Christmas happened the way it did. Well, we've heard, you heard the verse read a couple times from Isaiah. The light shines in the darkness. What does that mean? That means there's darkness. Sometimes people don't like Christmas because they feel bad about themselves. They feel bad about the world. Uh, this, is, this is not a, a Christmas world. It's, I don't have a Christmas life. I don't have a Christmas family. I don't have a Christmas situation. Well, that's a misunderstanding of what the birth of Christ is about. The birth of Christ requires darkness. There's darkness. There's despair. There's dark ages. And the light shines in that. The light that is Jesus Christ shines in that. You can't have a proper Christmas without an understanding of the darkness in your life and your world. So far from having something to complain about, now you have perspective and something to rejoice in because no matter how dark the darkness may seem, His light shines. He will keep His promise. He will come through. He will redeem you. He will make you the kind of person who does the right thing, even when no one's looking. Ah, that's how good this is. I guess that's why we still sing this song, because it captures this. God saw the dark, empty, hopeless world and lives that our sin had forced us to inhabit, he saw our, his people's hellishness that would lead us to hell, and he said no, and he looked at his son, and he said go. And as we sing this song, our, our, our cry, which is the chorus of the song, is the cry of all believers, oh, come, oh, come, God with us. Emmanuel. Let me read a few of these verses. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. So unless you're captive, you don't understand that. Unless you're mourning, unless you're lonely, unless you know exile of one form or another, then, well, it's not as special to you. It's not as poignant to you. You're not feeling the power of him pointing out something wrong and offering to make that right through Christ. O come, thou rod of Jesse, that's the father of David, and so that's a reference to David. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory or the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. You might hear that song 
today in the mall. When you're at $5 and below or whatever store my daughters always drag me into, and you'll hear a song about a snowman prior to that and a song about a reindeer with a nasal issue after that. And in the middle, you'll hear, you might hear this lyric. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell thy people save. And so now you know about the depths of hell and Satan's tyranny. It doesn't get any darker than that. Because when the Bible talks about light shining in darkness, it means real darkness. Real darkness dispelled by real light. The real light, the light that is and will always be Jesus Christ. O come thou day spring from on high and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, Adonai, Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times didst give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Now, when we sing, we won't sing all those stanzas, perhaps, and there's many more. It's not just Isaiah 7:14 quoted here, the, the prophecy that features the name Emmanuel. Lots of other prophets are quoted here, lots of other verses of prophecy of Isaiah 11 here, and that's where you read about Jesse, the father of David. You have Malachi 2:4, the son of righteousness, S-U-N, shining in our life, the son of righteousness. You have the key of David. In Isaiah 22, 22. Finally, Scripture leads us all to realize that we are why he came, if we're looking at why. God spoke because he said, because he said, I, I love you and I want to rescue you from your sins and from condemnation. Advent is as it was because God said so. God said so out of his love. God's love is the only way you can really explain Christmas. That's the why. We find our best and lasting why in this life from this why. With Jesus, God is with us. He alone is your Emmanuel. Call him this. See him as this. Know him. Know Emmanuel in your life. Let's rise now and, and sing this song together. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.